The ego's world is haunted by absence. For everyone who is still in ego consciousness, they are tormented by an absence that they tend to try to localize as a particular object of desire. The drug addict will find his drug is always absent. He needs a fix, even if he just got one. It's absent again. The child who leaves home even to go to school will feel the absence of the parents. The mother will feel the absence of the child. A woman without a child will want to have a child because they will feel that will fill up the absence. Those who are single want to have a partner. Those who have a partner feel that space is absent. They want to be alone. Something is always absent. And I wrote it as absence because it is ultimately sense that is absence. And so people are trying to make sense of the world. They come up with all of the most outrageous philosophies to try to make sense of it. And yet it just becomes more and more confused and chaotic. And they become more alienated within their own world and from their own world. And so everyone is haunted by an absence that they try to localize in a particular thing or person or possession of some kind. But when they have it, they realize, oh, it wasn't that. And thus it's on to the next one and the next one and the next one. But it's never it. The absence is inherent to the nature of reality. This is the reason why there are three gunas. whose core is absence itself, seeks what it's looking for either through the tamasic drive, which is the lower death drive, through inertia, through seeking to die to the world, but in a, a negative sense of contraction, or it's the rajasic drive, which is the life drive, the drive to keep going on doing. I'll find it if I just keep working harder and harder and harder. I'll get there. I'll find the object. Or sattva, the upper death drive, the drive to transcend the world. Because I'll find it beyond the world. All three are illusions.
The sattvic drive can take you more quickly beyond the illusion because at least it is a drive that seeks clarity, that seeks knowledge, and that will ultimately uncover the true nature of the absence. But it won't take away that absence. To the religious person, it's God that's absent, isn't it? That's why people pray, to try to invoke an absent God to be present. There wouldn't be a need for prayer if God were not absent. For the psychoanalyst, it's always the mother who's absent. Although for the Lacanian, it's actually more the father, the absent father, that's the real issue. For the yogi, it is realized that the absence is an absence of the self. That for the ego, there is an absence of being because the ego isn't real. And if its own being is absent, how can it find anything? And so if it is unreal, then the ego itself is an absence. It is the absence of the self. Not just that the self is absent to it, but it is the shadow of the absent self. And thus, it cannot stop being a seeker. And yet, it is a seeker who dare not find what it is seeking, because when it does, the shadow itself dies into the light. The shadow may want to seek the light, but it dare not find it. For it is destined to be annihilated by the very light it seeks. This is the catch-22 of the ego's world. And why it cannot allow its world to make sense. Because that sense would require its own absence in order for the self to be present. For the religious seeker to really have God present, the seeker must die. And so it would rather keep God at a distance and long for the presence of God than to have God and lose itself. And thus Christ said, you must be willing to lose your life in order to find it. But the life that you find is not that of the same ego that loses it. Because the real self is the presence of absence. This is the great joke. Because what is presence except absence? 
It's only because you are absent that the world is present. Because the world is that which fills the absence. It's written in the Kabbalah that God's creation of the world was simply to make himself absent from it. And then in that space of the absence, the world could arise. But God needed to make himself smaller so there would be a space for the world to arise in. So God had to totally disappear. This is what in Christianity is called kenosis, the emptying out of the self in order for reality to arise. It's the self-sacrifice of God in order to allow there to be creation. But then that very creation is haunted by the absence of the creator. And when the creator is present again, there is no world. There is a moment of balance between nirvana and samsara when the equation is accurate that nirvana equals samsara, the Buddhist formula. In most times it's incorrect. In most times it's either nirvana or samsara. But when the consciousness that is in the world discovers its absent self, and recognizes that the absent self is the equivalent of the present world, then the two remain in balance, and the world is perceived as nirvana, and nirvana as samsara. And when they remain in balance, stably, that creates a satyuga, the kingdom of heaven, because the presence of the supreme energy of light and love and intelligence pervades the apparent world, which is perceived with much greater fineness and subtlety, the fifth dimensional world as you were talking about yesterday. It's that plain because the world itself is recognized simply as a crystalline construction of the intelligence itself. In a sense, the world is the map of God's mind. And this is the one case where the map is the territory. The maps that the intellect of the ego tries to create in order to understand reality are always of limited value. And the history of ideas is a history of, of a single, very simple idea that captures the essence of reality, becoming ever more complex. And as the map becomes more complex, then more versions of it appear. So first there was Freud's initial idea, and then suddenly there were 25 schools of Freudian, neo-Freudian, post-Freudian, Jungian, all of these other versions of the same idea. But it became of such great complexity that it became useless as an instrument of assistance in therapeutic transformation. Because as soon as the map becomes as big as the territory, what do you need a map for, right? <laughs> and that's the problem, is that every map will ultimately grow to be as large as the territory itself. And the territory will continue to grow to become more infinite. This is why physicists keep discovering new particles. 
they're inventing them. Their own consciousness posits them and then they appear. And so there will never be an end to this. And so the very idea of mapping the territory is useless as a self-defeating attempt because it's one aspect of consciousness that's trying to map the other and it will continue to be an arms race that can only end in the insanity of the person trying to understand it, which is what usually does happen with most scientists, most creative thinkers, most artists, most musical composers. They do reach a point of insanity. And, and that point is the point in which their map of reality is so far beyond that it would, anyone else, no one can understand what they're saying. I've probably reached that point myself. <laughs> but hopefully I can bring you all along with me. We can be insane together. But anybody who comes here for the first time, no doubt, thinks this is all insane. Is that right, Sharon? Not quite? Okay, a little bit, almost. All right. And that's why this has to be a community of misfits. People who don't buy into the old map and are willing to remap the territory. But then once you realize that the map and the territory actually are one, you let go of the idea of needing to map it. And you realize that what you're mapping is only your own mind. And so if you are the territory, what's the point of keeping expanding it? Why not make it as simple as possible? So the complexity is only necessary to capture the complexity of the lost soul, lost in their own complexity, in order to bring them back to that absent center that they were looking for at the periphery. And so our approach is actually to start with complexity and come to simplicity. Most other approaches are to go from simplicity into complexity. We're bringing people home, but we have to capture them in the net of complexity in order to bring them into the center that they could not find. And you cannot find it because you are it. And since you are it, you can never find yourself as an object in the world that you're looking for. And ultimately, when you realize that absence is the nature of the world that you are in, it will never be filled by anything. Then you will recognize the obsolescence of desire. Desire is simply a mode of self-frustration, as is fear. Both are pointless. And it's at that moment when the desire project comes to an end, as being recognized as futile, and self-defeating. That the haunted ego can begin the return to its own emptiness that it has been running away from and trying to fill. 
and recognize that that emptiness, that absence, is presence. And the presence is filled. It's not absent at all. It's filled with love. It's filled with creative intelligence. It produces the very world from which it is absent. So therefore it contains everything. And infinitely more than can ever appear in any world. You are the infinite richness of being. You are the God or the Buddha mind, or whatever term you have given for this ultimate object of supreme desire. You are that. And you've simply projected that out, either into some mythological figure or some scientific equation or into some other form but it's always a projection of what you are as presence. And so what the ego wants, its own desire, is to be present to the other, but to the other that it projects as being real, as having substance, so that it exists in the mind of someone who is real. and does not realize that it is conferring the very reality that it projects on that other from its own reality, that it cannot yet admit. And it cannot admit it for one single reason. It recognizes that it is in the act of betraying itself by the very act of projection. And it does not want to give up projection because it wants to find its object of desire in another that it can grasp, possess, control, and have power over. And so, addicted to the otherness, addicted to the Chakra 3 domination project, it cannot simply let go and allow being to be even though in that process it loses its own real power in the search for its false reflection. Does this make sense? Or is it an absence? And so this is the tragic comedy of human existence which is easily overcome simply by recognizing that you are that which you are looking for. And all you need to do is stop and be still and know that I is God. Nothing new here. This was written in a book long ago. So why don't we be still? Why the constant seeking for that which you are, where you are not? even when you know better. 
Who has an answer to that question? Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste.